This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, A People's History premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. A quick note before the show, this podcast contains explicit language. What did 2023 sound like to you? Here's one answer. I turned on the news and it said that I was the number one most wanted person in the United States. The United States, the most wanted person in the United States. In the United States, the United States, the most wanted person in the United States. It's Daoud Tyler Amin, one of the editors at NPR Music. That was a little bit of the album 10,000 Gex by the band 100 Gex, a very, very silly record that happens to be one of my favorites from 2023. Uh, Look, it's been a heavy year. It's been a consequential year and a year with a lot of big feelings in it. And for the past month and a half, we've been busy revisiting the music from this big, weird year and reflecting on how it made us feel how it helped us feel. Every year around this time, we collect the best music of the year to share with our readers and listeners. We make lists, we have conversations, we try to make sense of the year in music. And that's coming over the next few weeks on NPR.org and here on the podcast. You'll hear about the songs that made us drop everything and listen. You'll hear about the way that live performance was a major vessel for community. You might have heard there were a couple of pretty big tours this year. Two of them got turned into movies, no big deal. But it all starts today, at the top of December, with this conversation. And today, we wanted to start a little closer to the ground. So I gathered a few of the people whose voices have weirdly been a little drowned out in discussions of music lately. Critics! They still matter so much. Specifically, the three main critics at NPR Music. Rodney Carmichael, who writes about hip-hop and R&B, coming at us from Atlanta. Hey, what's going on? Nate Chinen, our man in Philly for jazz and a little bit of classical. Hey. And Ann Powers, maven of pop, rock, folk, country, a little bit of everything, with us from Nashville. Hey, y'all. So... Here's the deal, everybody. This is nominally an episode about the albums of the year. But like I said, the definitive lists of favorites that our whole department voted on are kind of covered elsewhere. So I really want to use this albums chat to talk about how the year felt, the albums that made us feel things or that maybe put a frame around our feelings about life and the world and everything. So we'll share a little with each other and we'll see if we can make some sense of the year together. Sound okay? Awesome. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. Okay. So I'm going to start with the hardest question and put everybody on the spot. Will you each tell me your number one album of the year, (laughs) the one you would absolutely recommend? (laughs) My brain freezes with questions like this. But this year I do have an answer for you, Dad, because one album has really carried me through the year and one new voice is giving me a lot of hope and excitement for the future. And that is the voice of Kara Jackson, a young poet. You might call her a folk artist. You might call her an indie artist. I'm going to claim her 
in some ways for the blues tradition. Her debut LP is called Why Does the Earth Give Us People to Love? And uh, came out in April and remains to me one of the most distinctive recordings of the year. Let's hear a little bit of, pardon my French, the song Dickhead Blues. Damn the dickhead blues When your time becomes somebody else's refuge Damn the dickhead blues Make a vacation out of you Damn the dickhead blues and I got to tell you, just the title of this record really messed me up. I know. <laughs> Even before I had heard any of it. And then I heard it, and I have to say, like, there's something almost uncomfortable uh, about the way the vocals are produced and, and recorded. It really, really feels like it's there in the room with you. I, I, I wonder if they decided to forego, like, traditional kinds of, like, EQ and compression and stuff. Because, like, man, I felt it like she was right over my shoulder. What's cool about this record, so she's, you know, in her very early 20s. In another era, she, she would have been picked up, you know, by a major or a big indie and directed in a certain way. But this record, Kara Jackson made with three of her contemporaries in Chicago, Kaina Namdi and Sen Morimoto, are co-producers on this record. And the, the production is so subtle and cool. Like, it sounds like you're saying right up to your ear, kind of like listening to a folk artist in a coffee house. But then underneath, there'll be like a Wurlitzer or bells or, you know, a synthesizer, uh, Jackson's guitar lines just creating an atmosphere that centers and diffuses the music at the same time makes you feel like, yes, you're in the room, but this is not raw. This is extremely well crafted, this album. Yeah, I love it. Damn the dickhead blues. And because there is such a, an intuitive association with this kind of closeness and a sort of revealing intimacy, right? You know, you've written so much about the fallacy of the confessional. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and, and I think it, it's really clear throughout this record, and maybe, Daoud, some of the, the discomfort that you locate is like the tension between that intimacy and the sort of feeling of rawness with this understanding like, oh, this is very carefully considered and very yeah. precisely executed. There's that really annoying thing, and it happens to women in particular, black women especially, where there's this, you know, idea that you just sort of like cut your flesh open and this is the music that spilled out. I mean, when you listen to this, it's it's very clear that there's there's been a great deal of care and, and craft and consideration and authorship uh, applied not only to the music and lyrics, but 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 to the arrangements and to the production. But it, it hits a raw nerve anyway, because it really doesn't sound like something that you're accustomed to hearing over the radio. It really doesn't sound like something that you're accustomed to hearing, like through the compression of like iPhone speakers or whatever. It really sounds like it's just like right there in front of you. Where this music takes me, and, and we played a little of Dickhead Blues, which is the most obvious example of this, but throughout the album, even on songs like Brain or Pawn Shop, I do think she's connecting with a blues legacy, but a very widely defined blues legacy. Like, Jackson has this relationship with profanity, with humor, 
and with super raw emotions. A close friend of hers died young, and she has several songs about grieving that close friend. A lot of songs about dickheads, <laughs> men or people who've done her wrong. And that maybe is the obvious connection to the blues, right? Like moaning the blues. And, and Jackson has that amazing contralto voice that really takes me back to the, almost the 1920s. But I also think of a work like Entezaki Shange's For Color Girls, right? A classic choreo poem that brought the blues into a new context when it was produced in the 70s. And did confront the rawest emotions, but in this incredibly beautiful poetic way. So I think Jackson's coming out of all those traditions. Toni Morrison, you know, she is connecting with all of those different ways to sing the blues. Yeah, I, I just have to say, as someone who just listened to this album for the first time last night, <laughs> I was uh, just really struck by the honesty and the vulnerability and it's, it's funny to hear you and talk about how, you know, there was a time when an artist like her, you know, maybe would have been plucked up by a label and, and directed and her sound maybe created for her. It kind of reminded me, even listening to her last night, about an artist like India Ari's, you know, beginnings here in Atlanta and how you would go live and see her playing acoustic guitar in cafes or in the soul scene at night and her produced sound on her debut album which she's spoken a lot about since then was not the sound that she wanted it was a sound that was kind of put upon her and it kind of made me think like you know this almost sounds like how she might have sounded had she had full creative freedom and the choices to do the things she wanted to do. So it's cool to see that this artist, what, 20, 30 years later, is making and finding that freedom for herself. That's such a great comparison, Rodney. Yeah. And it is a hopeful thing about an industry that's in tatters <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> you know, maybe the, uh, should we say dissolution, decentralization of the music biz has given uh, more freedom to young mm. artists. I don't know if you all saw that in your world, yeah. too. That's an old story in jazz. So uh. <laughs> True. Absolutely true. Yeah. We've been there. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of cool things happening because... You know, the means of production are so accessible and, you know, I think a lot of people have given up on the idea of chasing the sort of big mainstream audience. And it's like, find your people. That's dope. And that's, you know, obviously not just a jazz thing. I'm hoping that that's like the next phase that hip hop is entering. You know, it's like, OK, we've been the 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 most dominant, most consumed genre most popular genre for several years running now. We're 50, you know, this has been such a, a year of like so much change. A lot of, you know, woe is me talk, woe is we talk about <laughs> the fact that hip hop was not producing any chart topping number ones the first half of the year. And it was hard to even care about that you know what I mean I, it was it was almost a relief it was almost like 
okay, finally, maybe artists can start chasing something else besides a hit. You know, maybe they can start chasing whatever creative whims they have. Um, maybe people will stop looking to this genre to be the kind of like song or slash album of the year and, and all of that. And, and, and it, it can start being a little more niche, you know, in terms of the kind of audiences and artists that 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 come out of the genre. So don't get me wrong. I mean, I think there's a certain pride that probably exists within the genre, especially after so many years of being undercounted. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But I would love to see its endurance be a lot more jazz like in terms of artists having just this wide breath of like creative freedom to just do what they want to do and not have the pressure of you gotta what, what's your first week sales uh-huh. I, I i cannot stand some of these stats you know i who care i've never cared about first week sales yeah maybe since snoop dogg almost went platinum <laughs> on his debut album but since then i really have not cared about it. <laughs> you know what i'm saying so i'm hoping that that's 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 a good sign for our future too but Rodney, I wonder what you think about the way hip hop has infused R&B. And mm. Scissor's SOS came out in December 2022, but yet it still is one of the albums of this year. And in fact, your pick for your favorite album of the year, not a hip hop record, yep. but yet. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> it's Sampha, you know, this is his sophomore album. La High is the name of it. I, I, I always consider myself a sample fan. I was waiting for the album to drop, and I heard it, and I was like, okay, I can already see this is an album that's going to have to grow on me, which I love. You know, I love uh, hearing an album and, and already hearing all the things that I don't hear yet that I'm going to hear on down the line. And, yeah, and like you said, it's it's one of those things that's interesting to me that I think is being called out a lot more, like, there's always been this relationship, obviously, especially in black music, where different genres kind of blend in one another. And the, the hip-hop soul, hip-hop R&B thing has been a thing forever. But it feels like it's gone from being A artist and B artist, hip-hop artist and soul artist, get in the studio together and, and make a cool collaboration to one artist embodying all of those sounds you know there are certain tracks on this Sampha album um the song only comes to mind where he has this really rhythmic delivery that sounds to me like he's rapping only, only, only. i was chasing hearts up on diagonal started looking down like where the middle go i've been on this grind like it's gonna break my fall careerism pothole like where my loved ones go obedient blindly i trust you and you know i don't want to judge but i need to save my soul i question your priorities isn't in this boat wired to a system born into a cold has a way of keeping self-esteem on the love there is this this rhythmic delivery where it's hard to tell is the singer rapping or is the rapper singing that I'm hearing in a lot of artists right now, including another artist that's on my my short list this year that maybe we'll talk a little bit more about later. Um, well, band actually, Black Odyssey. And it's not about stats and and, and 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 charts, but it's about the evolution of a sound. 
Man, rapping has been hybridizing with other genres for so long now that it's it's kind of wild to hear somebody do it in a way that surprises you. Mm. On the point, Rodney, you're making about hip-hop infusing R&B and, and the lack of distinction or the beautiful marriage between the two. That's always existed, but now, I, I don't know, it's in its golden era. I really think that the most interesting artists now are inhabiting multiple genres at once. Let's do away with this critical discourse about post-genre or, hmm. you know, exploding genre or there is no genre. It's actually just a, that it's it's the multiplicity hmm. of stances that interests me. And Sanf is such a great example because, as you said, we just heard it, that musical delivery, that rhythmic delivery that, that recalls rap. Even Kara Jackson, I think her wordplay is very much influenced by mm, rap. No doubt. Yeah. You know? Um, but also, jazz. Like, there's such a fruitful jazz scene in England right now, and Sampha feels very connected to that. Well, Nate, why don't we go to you next? Because uh, I know that your pick is somebody who has a, a, a sort of slant relationship to jazz as their ostensible genre. Can, can you talk a little bit about it? Absolutely. This is another album that's like jazz, but not jazz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is um, Michelle Indiguercello's album, The Omnicord Real Book. Don't be fooled by the myth of control. Be at peace. Within the chaos. And constant rebirth of the creative mind. To be in the now of creation. I don't know why I would expect anything else but this, but the bass on this record sounds so good. Oh yeah, the the bass playing is 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 pretty bonkers, and uh, so I have seen uh, Michelle and her band play basically this album twice this year and both times she perversely like did not she barely played bass and it's like it's the most frustrating but also kind of tantalizing (laughs) proposition where it's like uh it's it maybe it's almost like it would be too much (laughs) too much soul if she actually played bass in the now of creation there are things that she has said about this album that indicate her longtime hesitation at, you know, actually making a jazz album. Partly because she has such respect for the music and, and didn't feel like that was her lane. And partly, I think, because she had certain ambivalences about, you know, the, the way that the, that the music positions itself the way that it sort of polices its borders. You know, the title of this album is a reference to The Real Book, which is, um, you know, it's like this long-standing touchstone for, you know, for players, you know, who just need to to get, like, Cliff's Notes for the chord progression of a standard, you know? It's like The Real Book is like this sort of cheat sheet for, for working musicians. And... Um, Michelle lost both of her parents a few years ago, and as she was going through their things, she came across the, you know, the old dog-eared copy of the first real book that she was given by her father, um, who was a musician. And, uh, you know, she had 
a, a pretty complicated relationship with with her parents and with her father in particular. And so this was both like a a complex signifier, but also you know a a, a gift. You know, it was really like this was was one way that she um, was able to to find her way as a musician early in her development. And so so this album is like dealing with a lot of that um, at the same time that it's like, you know, pushing against all of these presumptions we have about the music. As you go through the the journey of the album, it's like it's Afrobeat and it's, you know, George Clinton and it's all of these different things. And then lyrically, there's, you know, some really personal stuff. And then there's also s stuff that almost feels like intentionally boilerplate self-help <laughs> material you know <laughs> like finding the meaning in these in these exhortations that we you know typically think of as pretty like rote you know mm -hmm. um it's like what happens when you take a phrase like that and repeat it as a mantra it's a really shifty tricky um kind of musical statement you know very very afrofuturist very sort of hazy, but one that I, I was really happy to return to, you know, again and again throughout this year. That's kind of the minimalist trick, isn't it? Taking, you know, uh, a piece of music that's really short or one phrase or whatever and just repeating it, repeating it, looping it, looping it until you find a sort of a new resonance in it. I, I, you know, I think one thing that's worth saying about this Michelle Indigo cello record in particular is that in contrast to so many other, you know, albums that that work, you know, including the Kara Jackson record that we just talked about, right? Um, she is the opposite of a clear foregrounded presence yes. on this album. She she recedes not necessarily into the background, but into the machinery or into the matrix of this record. Um, you know, it's very much a a collaborative effort um, and one in which you know, aside from the the anchoring through line of her bass playing. Um, which is, you know, a considerable gem, <laughs> but, you know, it's really like the, the collaboration with people like, um, the hot plates, you know, which is this sibling vocal group and, you know, the guitarist, uh, Jeff Parker and the saxophonist, Josh Johnson, um, and people like, uh, Brandy Younger on harp, you know, there's all these folks who kind of rotate in and out. Um, and I feel like she is... You know, this is a recording that that brings to to mind the word hospitality for me. You know, she's kind of oh, like, nice. hey, come on in. Like, we're doing a thing here. Like, why don't you come on in and see what you can bring to it? Nate, listening to you talk about this Michelle album, it almost makes me wonder, like, was this just a year of, of departures for, for mm. artists? Um, you know, you talk about her doing this. This this jazz album, you know, I can't help but think of a couple of other cats that, you know, surprised us this year. Not necessarily on, on this short list, but, but definitely on our minds heavy. Um on flute. And I won't even start with the most <laughs> obvious, but I'll go back to the I'll go back to the beginning of the year. Um, which I think these two albums bookend each other in an interesting way. Lil Yachty uh dropped a psych rock album uh -huh. you know at the at the top of the year that got some really interesting reaction i mean you know this is a an atlanta rapper who 
he kind of came up in in the era where a lot of music he made and a lot of other cats was being dismissed as mumble rap and you know all of a sudden here he was with this really elaborate and very you know well produced uh psychedelic rock album that was largely instrumental mm-hmm. um he he does have vocals on the album too and then you come to the end of the year and you know and an ATLian of a different generation, Andre 3000, he drops his first album in, in 17 years. That's an instrumental album that, just like you're talking about, Nate, he kind of recedes into the background in a lot of ways. It was, was such a collaborative project. He's playing flute, but he's not really out there in the forefront. He's not leading, so to speak, even though we're always listening for him um, because he's he's obviously the star of the show, but yeah, I think in a lot of ways it, I've I, it's, it's made me start to think about the kind of like turning tides that it feels like we see artists going through individually, but also in some ways, and like what you were talking about with the, with the evolution of sounds and the, and the multiplicity of genres and and what's happening, it just feels like a a, a lot of change in the undercurrent of of music this year. I'm Daoud Tyler Amin. From NPR Music, it's All Songs Considered. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top-10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com commercial, a member FDIC. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore. Jump into a new perspective on performance apparel. Viore makes products that stand the test of time and hope to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives, empowering your best life in clothing that can be worn for just about any activity from running to yoga. Visit viore.com NPR to receive 20% off your first purchase and enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. Discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. It's All Songs Considered from NPR Music. I'm Daoud Tyler-Amin, and I'm here with Ann Powers, Rodney Carmichael, and Nate Chenin, talking about the best albums of 2023. For some reason, I don't know why this slipped past me, but... 
the Corin Bailey Ray record. Oh yeah, um, Black yeah. Rainbows, mm. which you know, totally. I, I mean, th- this is this will not reflect well on me, but like <laughs> listening to that, maybe half the way through, I just the thought that occurred to me was like, wow, who knew she had this in her? <laughs> you know, yeah. and I, sh- yeah. I should have known. Yeah. I should have. I should have known. I'm ashamed right? to admit it, but yeah, um, it's like, man, right. what a what a what a fantastic album, and what a you know, just like the amount of of ferocity and energy and like like bouncing around stylistically that happens in there. Um, it just feels really fearless to me. Yeah, absolutely. This was one of my favorite uh, picks of the year. I've loved Corinne Bailey Ray since the days of Put Your Records On um, when, you know, she was making this kind of beautiful, sunlit R&B. But, but before that, growing up in England, she had a punk band called Helen when she was a teenager. Kind of a 90s rock, you know, alt-rock punk band. And they almost got signed. They didn't get signed. She went on to make the beautiful jazzy R&B we love from her. But now she's made a record where she incorporates that edge, you know, and that that absolute burn-it-down rock and roll with her more psychedelic soul. And she was really inspired by seeing going to a place called the Stony Island Arts Bank on Chicago's South Side, where the artist Theaster Gates has collected uh, black memorabilia that are frankly racist. So Corinne looked at this material and wrote songs in response to some of these pieces. Like, for example, this is a bit of a trigger warning, but like an ashtray that was the open mouth of a black child. That is a very upsetting image, right? And that inspired her song, Erasure. So there's like a lot of anger and rage on this record, but also joy, the joy of release. There's a song inspired by the slave narrative of Harriet Jacobs. There's also beautiful love songs. It's She really just let go, man. She just went everywhere on this record. As you're, you know, moving through this album, it doesn't sound like it's all over the place. Like it's, no. it's a really, it's a beautifully sequenced album. Um, <laughs> yeah. just, it's like really, it's both surprising and then also like, once you're in it, it's like, no, this makes perfect sense. Totally. It makes me want to ask you, Ronnie, about one of your uh, kind of, you could call it a left field pick, but but I bet you're going to show me how it's right in the middle, right in the center of things. And that's the Black Odyssey record. Another wild listen. Yeah, the Black Odyssey album, uh, Diamonds and Freaks, I don't know. I, I've taken the count of calling it my comfort food pick for 2023. And that's because, like, in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm like, I'm a funk baby. That music is really my lifeblood. And I don't know, something about what Black Odyssey is doing as a band that's, you know, led by this producer and singer, I guess you could call him, um, Juwan Elcock. Okay. 
again, he's one of those cats who it often sounds like he's rapping. You know, it often sounds like he's he's singing. His his flows are very rhythmic and very like fluid. This album is kind of conceptual in a lot of ways. It's you know, it's kind of lush driven uh, thing. But I honestly, I honestly don't care about all of that as much. I mean, the story is interesting, but it's really just the way it makes me feel, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is just kind of like warm. Like the bass is really warm. And um, even though there's not a whole lot unexpected musically that happens in it, it just puts me in a really good place. It feels like whenever somebody can breathe some kind of fresh breath in the funk, I always feel like there's there's hope that you know this genre that in a lot of ways i think gets pigeonholed to an era or or a few major players from an era continues to to live and breathe and and and, and be alive in a lot of ways and yeah i just i've had this album on on repeat just at different points throughout the year and honestly the the, the points of innovation that i feel like there are again is his flows for one but then he gets some performances out of other people. Like Rhapsody is on this album. Yeah, the Rhapsody mm. track is great. Yeah. Man, Rhapsody, North Carolina rapper. She's kind of, you know, a lot of times we kind of pigeonhole to a certain school or class of rap. Um, but she sounds totally different than you have ever heard Rhapsody sound here um, on, on this album. To hear the difference, if you know who Rhapsody is as a rapper, it's, it's just like worlds apart. And that's actually the title track on the, uh, on the album, Diamonds and Freaks. I love that your comfort food is something that I heard is totally adventurous. But I always hear funk as adventurous. You know, it, mm. it, it its DNA is adventure. No doubt. <laughs> you talk about the bass playing Bootsy is yeah. on at least one track of this album. Yeah. And yeah, you know, along with that classic funk bass, um, the the beats on this record are so crispy. You know, mm. like I like I love the way like the drums are mixed. Yeah. And there's also moments, you know, it's funny, we've been talking about genre bleed or what have you. And, and you know, you could make a case that this is another album where jazz is oh, like totally. the secret sauce. You know what I mean? Oh, yes. oh, wow. Definitely. Um, and, you know, there's a track called Ephesians that, that actually gets into some like swinging, you know, saxophone stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and it's some of that and um, and even the presence of Rhapsody that reminds me of To Pimp a Butterfly. You know, yep. it's like I feel like <laughs> oh, I feel wow. like this album can't exist without that one. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. It it definitely feels like the 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 um that album is uh, that Kendrick album is a bridge builder to 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 where Black Odyssey is now for sure. That came up for me too. Well, I wanted to leap to a different place because um, what you're talking about, how it's both your comfort food and doing surprising things makes me think of the indie rock band Wednesday and their amazing record Rat Saw God. And this is a record that I can only describe as covered in dirt. 
It's something <laughs> about the guitar tone. I don't know what it is, but like I just imagine like the grossest, greasiest, like gas station dirt that you can just power wash all you like and it, you never really get rid of it. That's how this record sounds to me in a great way. Well, that's the thing about Wednesday, right? So they're from Asheville, North Carolina. Um, everybody in this band is great. They are just a killer band to see live. They they rock it out with, with amazing jams. But they're centered on the duo of the vocalist and songwriter Carly Hartsman and the guitarist MJ Lenderman, happen to be a couple. Uh, and they work against each other and with each other so beautifully in these songs. But that dirty feel, I think, is partly the southernness of it, you know? I think it is because of Hartsman's voice and her writing. Uh, she really writes, you know, I don't know, thinking about Craig Finn and the, uh, of the Hold Steady mm, and the that's a, classic that's Hood Rat. Sure. That's oh, that's a great pull. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, because, you know, right, what he wrote about supposed hood rats, people who hang out in parking lots, uh, sitting on the hoods of cars, and, and that's kind of where Carly lives, too. And, she, oh, the detail. Again, like, I love the way this conversation is helping me make connections among all of these records, but the detail in her writing is very similar. Well, it's different than Kara Jackson's detail because it's less metaphorical, but it's just rip. I don't know. The songs are bubbling with detail. There's so many great little lines. Precisely observed. Coming to this after reading a little bit about this album, um, I was actually expecting a gnarlier, dirtier sound than I got. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, th there's like like really beautifully balanced like pedal steel and like, you know, th this is a band that really like knows how to shift gears. Um, yes, totally. So I, I, was, Dynamics. I was sort of, yeah, I was bracing myself for something that was just going to be a little like more out of control. You know, but like they they know how to dial it up and then bring it back, which is yes, you know, that's that's always of interest to me when when a band has that kind of control. Yeah, and and her her lyrics, the story she tells, do something similar, like these lines from Quarry. The Kletz brothers' parents fight in the yard in their underwear. Bobby and Jimmy sit in the baby pool with lice in their hair. They have scoliosis from constant slumps in misery, flat parts on their crew cuts from laying on their heads on their knees. Well, that's a pretty dark image of the South, and yet there's something mm -hmm. poetic and beautiful when that song begins with this image of the rain-rotted house on the dead end of Bay Tree. It's like, I don't know, it ain't Faulknerian, I don't want to go there, but there's like a beauty and a... <laughs> Like you're saying, a dirtiness doubt or a, uh, you know, we're sitting in that baby pool, we're feeling that. But her voice and the space they create also brings out the poeticism, I guess. Yeah, a really interesting relationship to melody. A lot of the guitar lines have these sort of long, loping bends to them where you have to sort of almost infer the melody inside of it rather than just being handed something that's more of a, a kind of a traditional riff. 
Listening to the Wednesday album with the list of y'all's picks in front of me, I made a connection that maybe you can tell me if I'm crazy, but Nate, I was thinking of a record that you picked by um, the band leader Darcy James Argue and how, like Wednesday, uh, taking on indie rock, taking on southern rock, and not exploding the genre or the style, but coloring it in with different hues, uh, I feel like that's what he's doing with big band music. This is an album that that really knocked me out. It's called Dynamic Maximum Tension, and it's a double album. It's a lot of music. And really, it's like compositions that he has been creating for this band, The Secret Society. I think maybe some of the oldest pieces on here might even be like a decade old. So it's really kind of a compendium of stuff, um, but it, it feels very cohesive as an album. It has a lot of sort of big ideas rattling around inside of it. Um, but the thing that Darcy does so well as a composer and orchestrator and band leader is bring the, really almost the entirety of the modern big band language in jazz, the sort of modern big band that, you know, you, you think about um, like the Thad Jones, Mel Lewis uh, orchestra, which became the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra. You think about um, Maria Schneider, you know, th- these, these modern figures, you know, sort of um, from the 70s on. And he's, he's so conversant in that language, um, but he's also like a child of, you know, like the Pacific Northwest indie rock vibe, you know, and so... Right. Maybe that's why I relate to him so much. That's my background. I didn't know. Uh, yeah, those are your people. Yeah, he's, he's Canadian, but, you know, he's from that, from that corner. Um, and, uh, and so there's like a real uh, fluency in the, in the kind of like, you know, indie rock aesthetic in this band. Um, but he's like making really intentional gestures. You know, there's one uh, piece that very specifically invokes Duke Ellington's Diminuendo and Crescendo in Blue, which is this famous piece from 1956. Um, you know, and then there's another piece called Waltz for Levon, right? Which is like, you know, his tribute to the band and, and Levon Helm. And so there's just a lot going on here, but it, it's all bound together by this like absolute mastery of form and an understanding of like how all the parts in this complex machine called a big band can work together, can, can you know, um, create friction within, you know, the organism can, you know, all, all the all the things you can do with this like palette of instruments. Um, he just really understands it. And, and this is his biggest swing yet, I think. And it's a really successful effort. I feel the same way about another record that I um, wanted to highlight, which is False Lancome by the Irish trad band Lancome uh, from Dublin. They've actually made our best of lists a couple times, but this new record was, was a leap for them too. And what they do similarly, I think, is bring in rock and metal sensibilities to traditional music, like drone. There's a lot of drone in what they do. There's a, there's a, uh, just a, 
a way of performing this music that that connects it to the very the peat you know the peat bog <laughs> of Ireland uh, and they have an amazing singer in Rady Peat as well oh lord oh another illustration of our theme of uh, artists taking on tradition or taking on familiar forms being absolutely adventurous with them. Ronnie, I wonder if any of your rappers do that, like the rap records you highlighted. I was about to say I could I could see you enrage you on that. Um, <laughs> so here, here's, here's a duo that on paper to me I, I never would have imagined I would be able to withstand for more than a song or two. <laughs> JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown Early this year, they dropped this collaborative album. Uh, it's titled Scaring the Hoes. Yeah, my bitch, she's so perfect and bad. And I love her, she's shaking that ass. Go ahead, girl, put that bump in the bag. These niggas is trash. Baby ass is Kimba, a freak. You a flash. Why did these nobody start with me? They don't got moves, don't got beats, don't got heart like me. Just for real. Bustin' drawers while I'm packing a steel. Fishy niggas fuck with it, get real. Shaking it up. Touching my leg, I know she wanna fuck this club up. Picking it down till she feel like it's us and we feel like a slut. You know that day ain't no hard to me. Die for my bitch, you got like a I'm not a bachelor, I'm not a shooter. Bitch with a cash at, I'm a computer. I feel like it beat, just out of a ruler. Keep one eye open like sleep with the ruler. Got one in the head, head straight from a doula. Triggering nobody's living and free. These hot niggas living vicariously. Niggas that don't lie, they exist. I say that I probably wouldn't have been able to withstand them for more than a track or two because if you know these artists, you know they are very much on 10, uh, sonically and, and, you know, vocally. Danny Brown, he has this really this off-kilter flow and this high-pitched voice um, that he, he, he works like an instrument. And and JPEG has this really kind of um, clubby, but it's also like it sounds like the internet in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, maybe like you've been s- at the club for a little too long, and your ears are starting to go. <laughs> right, right. He, he brings the samples in, and it's it's frenetic. And together, they both bring this frenetic energy to what they do. I was like, there's no way these guys are going to be able to make space for each other. They're going to crowd each other out. Um, <laughs> they're both great at what they do individually. You know, they're, they're alternative uh, hip-hop, they're experimental hip-hop, whatever you want to call it. But man, together? It's really yeah. fun to hear people just trading 
bars in this way. Yeah. There's a, a rhythm to how these two are bouncing off of each other that has a little bit of the kind of like fun energy of like when like Q-Tip would say like, you know, my man Five Diggy, you got something to say and just like no teeing up his man to, 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 to go off. I also think like the two of these guys are just like, I think they know that they're like strong spices in the stew and i think i mean danny brown especially his voice is his superpower but it's also mm -hmm. like it it it's maybe a little bit of a commercial ceiling for him because you just like you know there's only so many people um who are going to be able to stick with it for the, the the length of an entire album and so having these two really intense sounds and this production that's going wild and like taking you know the hook from milkshake and just scuffing the hell out of it <laughs> and flipping between those channels like over and over again it's like i think it's just the right balance they they know the limits of your attention span and they're they're changing the channel right when you hmm. reach the limit given everything that we've talked about do you see in the tea leaves of the music from this year uh, a, a case for the continued utility and value of the album because so much of the you know commercial side of the industry has moved toward the single the playlist obviously the live experience was a big part of this year what is an album for given everything that we've talked about today yeah i, th I think the album is um stubbornly tenaciously holding on to its relevancy as a sort of unit of meaning you know if if we stipulate that each album is a quote-unquote era um it really is like a an experience that that invites fans to to think really like um intently about like what an album represents and like what what it is as a um as a complete statement you know and as also as a brick in the the path of a larger um career and and life experience so i don't know i feel like the the album even in the face of technology and listening habits that that push us toward fragmentation and atomization and you know short attention spans and all of those things i feel like the album is still out there doing its thing I just feel like as an artistic statement, the album remains un unbeatable, you know, and I actually kind of hate these conversations that we have every couple of years in this digital era about, well, well, the album, is the album dying? Like, I mean, show me a better replacement because a playlist is not that to me. You know, a playlist has a whole bunch of other artists um, snapshots on them. Uh, in terms of like a full, complete statement of who you are and where you are in the world and what you want to say about life and how you are living and getting it, there's no replacement for the album. Um, and it's survived every format and it, it, it keeps, it's, 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 it has staying power, man. I mean, it's, it is what it is. But what you got to say, Ann? Well, if I if my year began with uh, Kara Jackson and Dickhead Blues and leading to her wonderful magical debut, my year ended with me immersing in I think the perfect illustration of what you were both talking about. Um, there's a Norwegian artist named Susanna Sunfor. I've followed her for a while. She uh, she's huge in Norway, but uh, not particularly well known here. She definitely has a bigger audience in Europe. Um, 
But her latest album is called Bloomy, that is all about her family. She has recently become a mother. Her grandfather, who was a famous Norwegian linguist and theologian, Kjell Artun, died at 97 recently. And this record weaves together meditations on motherhood, on love, and also on the legacy of her grandfather, who um, had this really daring, controversial theory that the runes, the ancient stones that dot the Scandinavian landscape, are actually even older than people think. Uh, He was a bit denounced or controversial. And she's kind of telling his story, telling her story. And the album is so rich as a listening experience. It tells a story, several stories, but also is blending kind of classic, almost Carole King singer-songwriter music with uh, electronic elements and folk elements in this absolutely masterful way. And she could never have released this work in any context but an album, you know, that you sit with, that you spend time with, that you come to know and love as part of your life. So, yeah, I'm all about the album, and I'm all about Blumi, and uh, I just want you all to hear the song, Le Caradlo. It's a whole world unto itself, and it is, to me, a beacon of hope for what artists can do as we move forward. It's a beautiful record and a a great note to end on. Well, thank you all for this. Like I said, it's been a year of tough news. Most of the news from within the music industry, as far as, you know, equity and sustainability for the people doing the creative work, has been tough. A lot of the news from our own industry, you know, arts and culture, journalism and media, tough. And I've been doing the best I can to recognize and hang on to the moments that kind of light up the darkness a little bit. And talking with you three today has certainly been one of those. So thanks for all your wisdom. I I appreciate you. No doubt. Such a pleasure. Really our pleasure, yeah. And there's much more to come from NPR Music all this month on the best music of 2023. We've got lists of all our favorite stuff, more podcasts on the way about the unique sounds and sights of the year. You can find it all at npr.org and here on All Songs Considered. Our show today was produced by Jacob Gans. It was edited and mixed by Joaquin Kotler. I've been Daoud Tyler-Amin. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. 
Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.